If you have your Bible this morning, and you would, uh, turn it on or open it with us to 2 Samuel. Uh, it's in the very beginning of your Bible, beginning 4th. And uh, I just want to say it's good to be back with you uh, after being uh, gone the last two. And uh, when I was last with you, uh, we started a series on a house divided. And we talked about the simple fact that for all of us, when we start getting close to home, we start talking about family, we start talking about work, we start talking about those situations, all of us, all of us, all of us can sometimes allow for the halos to come out. Be like, Our family don't have any problems. Never had a problem, never had a fight, never had a disagreement. Uh, we can look at our work and be like, oh, I love all my coworkers. Oh, they, they are just God's gift. We've never had a fight. I always had a good boss, always been a good employee. You see how ridiculous that sounds? It sounds bad coming out, but it's usually what our minds say. Maybe today you're here saying, Jake, I know our family is struggling. I, I know we're having problems, and I, I just don't know what to do. Maybe today you're here and you feel like you're as low as you can go, and there is no answer. Some of you are looking forward to Thanksgiving because you're looking forward to family and the joy of that, and some of you are looking and saying, man, that is a dumpster fire. I am dreading being around these people. They don't think like I do. They don't talk like I do. They don't vote like I do. Man, they are a hot mess on the best of days. You see, when we looked at this passage of Scripture three weeks ago, we started looking at King David and the fact that his son had tried to steal the kingdom from him. That was willing to murder his own father. And I want to just remind you of some of the points because it's been a long time of you and some of you have, have uh, forgetfulness problems. But we looked in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 15, the dangers of fake relationships and flattery. And we've all worked somewhere where somebody is the company brown nose, right? They literally will tell the boss anything they want to hear. They will have the same interest. Whatever it takes to move up the ladder, that's what they're at. I've pastored long enough to see it at church. I've seen people come into church and they'll hug people and they'll talk about how much they love them. And oh, they're just so wonderful and they're just buddies. And then on Monday morning, like so-and-so say, okay, go to church here. You just don't know what they're like, Jake. And so it happens in church, happens at work, happens in families. But there's a danger in that. Second thing we looked at, that people will use whatever they can to get what they want. We need to know that, that lost people will use whatever they can to get ahead. And let's be honest, as Christians, we can do the same thing. We want our kids to succeed. We want our families to inherit. We want all of these things, and so many times we'll do whatever it takes. But third and finally, after a very discouraging first two points, we saw that you are not alone. No matter how broken, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging things seem in this season for you this morning, you are not alone. You have a God who loves you, who died for you, who has proven that through the cross and what He did for us, but also that God will bring people into our lives. God will bring church family into our lives. God will bring others to be there with us. But today I want to talk to you about what is the root of division. 
Why do families fall apart? Why do churches tear themselves apart? Why do co-workers bicker and destroy each other? And it all comes back to pride. You see, Absalom's pride had been hurt when his sister had been taken advantage of by his half-brother. Rightfully so, he was upset. But then he had his brother murdered, and he got away with it. And then he ran to another area and hid and faced no consequences. He was welcomed back to the kingdom with no consequences. Not only was he welcomed back, but then he was brought to his father's table, the king, with no consequences. And so what happened in Absalom's life was he generally believed that he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and nothing would happen. And we all know people like that. We can even be like that sometimes. Well, I, I know I shouldn't, but no one else will ever know. Many times we disobey God and say, well, it's under His grace and mercy. God has to bless me because I'm His. And what we do is we trample on the grace and mercy of God. And so today I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that whatever prideful issue you're struggling with this morning, maybe it's toward a family member, maybe it's toward someone that's hurt you, maybe it's because you think you're better than someone, pride will destroy whatever God is trying to build in your life. Pride will destroy a marriage. Pride will destroy your family. Pride will destroy church. And I want to read a verse from Proverbs, the 16th chapter. Most of you have heard this verse quoted so many times, you won't even need to read it. But if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, Proverbs, the 16th chapter, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I want you just for a moment to think about what you love the most and add that behind destruction. Pride goes before destruction for my family. Pride goes before destruction for my church. Pride goes before destruction for my marriage. But it doesn't have to. And so this morning, if you would, pray with me. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, You know that I am incapable, I am unable to do anything good, to do anything spiritual. And so, Lord, I stand here asking for Your forgiveness. Lord, asking for You to speak. Lord, for You to move, for You to work in this place. Lord, for anything of value to happen, it will have to be You. Lord, I pray that You would allow me the freedom to preach with boldness, with humility. Lord, I ask that You would Keep me out of the way, Lord, that I would not quench what Your Spirit is trying to do. And Lord, that You would be glorified in all that is said and done. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today as we look at David's situation, if you remember, if you're a guest with us, David's son had led a rebellion. He had raised up an army. And David has heard about this. And David says, we've got to flee. We've got to run. We've got to regroup. And so what happens is they are exiting the city. They have stopped at the last house on the road out of town and they're having a regrouping moment. David's looking at the people who are still with him, the people that are loyal, the, the, this re-evaluating where they're at. And I want you to see this because we looked at how God had used these people in David's life to remind him that he was not alone. 
But friends, it would have also been a heartbreaking situation. Because can you imagine going from commanding all the army to just having a few? Can you go imagine being the king where everybody wants to be your friend? Everybody wants your attention to just a handful? You see, David was at a point in his life where he had a choice to give up, to quit, or to trust who God is. And this morning, that's my word to you, is for you to not quit. It might seem bad, it might seem difficult, it might seem like things can never change, but God is able. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I pray that you will, the first thing I want to show you in difficult times and when a house is divided is that God encourages us with loyal people. God encourages us with loyal people. Chapter 15, starting in verse 19 as we go verse by verse. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered in the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. And the king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. So get this picture with me of all these people, and there's a foreigner. And David says, you just got here. You don't have to go with us. You don't have to follow us. We don't know where we're going for sure. We don't know how long we're going to be there. We don't know if we're ever going to come back. We do not know what the future holds. You don't have to tie yourself to this ship. You don't have to tie yourself to this wagon. Go back and and, and you're already running from home. You're already in exile. Don't do this to your family. And this guy says, no. Where you go, we go. If you live we live. If you succeed, we succeed. Can you imagine what that would have done for David? You and I are all old enough to know that most people are not loyal. Most people will not stand with you in the difficult times. But friends, when you find a person that will, man, it's a game changer. It just encourages you. It uplifts you when kindred spirits, when the Lord puts people together and you know that, man, I do dumb things and I can say some dumb things, but man, that person loves me. That person's going to forgive me. That person's going to be with me. That person's not going to excuse my stupidity. Right? None of us need that. People, we need people in our lives who will look at us and say, that was dumb. You shouldn't have said that. You're not where God wants you to be, but I love you, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to stand with you. Where you go, I go. 
What you go through, I go through. What you struggle with, I struggle with. That's why the Bible says that we are to carry one another's burdens. We're to weep with those who weep. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And what David finds in the valley, in the pit, in the mess, is here's a man who's not Jewish, who doesn't have the same culture, the same background, the same upbringing, the same home. But he says, I love you and I'm with you. And friends, you say, I don't know anybody like that. Look up here. Be that person. If you have no one in your life that way, be that person. You say, well, Jake, if you knew the person I was married to, you wouldn't be loyal either. It doesn't matter about them. Be loyal. You say, Jake, if you knew the stupid things this church did, it doesn't matter. Be loyal. Jake, if you only knew the people I work with, it doesn't matter. Be loyal. Be a person who is trustworthy. Be a person who says, I will be with you through it all. Through the thick and through the thin. You say, well, Jake, that's how God loves us. But, you know, that's where we draw the line. Jesus literally said, I have loved you this way. Now you are to love others as I have loved you. You say, well, Jake, if everything was as good as it was going for David, it would have been easy. David had lost everything. And do you notice right after that, it says they were weeping? Now, most of the country wasn't weeping because they were happy. But the people who were watching this were weeping. The people were watching how the mighty had apparently fallen. They were watching how the king had been brought down. They were watching what was great the once great king who led the armies into battle, who had struck and killed Goliath, who had withstanded the trials and temptations and the struggles of King Saul, was now cutting and running with very little. And they wept. You see, friends, this morning I want you to see that, that our heart never rejoices in the fall of other people. As Christians, I've heard it so many times, people say things like this, well, I knew that was coming. Or, well, you know how they are. It does, shouldn't surprise you. And friends, I want you to look up here this morning. If those are your two answers to the brokenness of other people, you need to meet Jesus. Because when Jesus looked out over the multitude and they were scattered and they were hungry and they were broken, He had compassion on them. He cared about them. He loved them. The Bible says that He came not to be served, but to... Sir, And so as believers, we need to be reminded that who we are is because of Him. Second thing I want to show you this morning from this passage of Scripture is that we see true humility and trust in God. We see what true humility and trust in God looks like. Starting in verse 24, it says, There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Now this is not a really great translation in the New King James Version, and I hate to say this in public, but the NIV actually does a better job of it, as Alistair Begg points out, that it really is, should be translated that they were offering sacrifices. They were offering sacrifices as the people came up. They were trying to get God's favor in this moment. And so what we see here is they're worshiping. The people are walking by, trying to receive the blessing of God. And in verse 25 it says, Then the king said to Zadok, 
carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, He will bring me back and show me both it and His dwelling place. I want to stop right here because what we see is something very significant. You know, the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament would bring blessings where it was at when it was in God's people's home. If you remember, King David was bringing it back and someone had touched it and they died and David says, just leave it. Just park it over there. We're not taking it with us. And what happened? That guy's house began to be blessed. His family began to be blessed. His his life was under the favor of God. And so David says, no, no, I'm not leaving it there. You're bringing it here. And if you remember that passage of Scripture, David's dancing and he's worshiping God and his wife's like, don't you have fun? Some of you men are thinking, I know what that feels like. But uh, see, one person's on enough to laugh. I appreciate that. But what we see here is that David wanted something. David wanted them to know that even though the ark was important, and even though the ark was the presence of God, that God was going to have to deliver them. And He did not want them to be confused. You see, what happens in our minds is many times things that are supposed to represent God, some things that are supposed to point us to be to who God is, become what we worship. We have a tendency to worship what we see. For instance, there are millions of Christians who believe that you must take the Lord's Supper to be saved. But yet the Bible tells us that we do it in remembrance of Him. It is important, it's special, it's sacred, but it doesn't save. It's a reminder of what He has done for us. But yet the Lord's Supper becomes what is worshipped. Baptism is the same way. It is a beautiful picture, the Bible says, of, of the old being buried with Christ, being risen to new life, and we celebrate it and we think it is important and that it's a, an act of obedience. But yet there are also believers who would say, no, if you're not baptized, you cannot go to heaven. You see, the things of God become more important than God. And what David says is, I'm not taking my ball and going home. I'm not taking the ark and taking it with me. I want God to get all the credit. I want God to be the one who everybody looks at this situation and says that God fought for me, that God was with me. And in your life, I want to encourage you with this. When everything falls apart, it is not a church that is your hope. It is not a pastor that is your hope. It is not a Sunday school teacher that is your hope. It is not your giving that is your hope. When everything falls apart and life seems to collapse, the only hope that you and I have is Jesus Christ. The one who died for us. The one who was buried for us. The one who rose for us. He is the one that wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. He is the one who put us in the palm of His hand. He is the one who promised never to leave us nor forsake us. It is in those moments when all of the flash of life, when all of the good things fall away, and it's just you and what is before you that you can look and say, Lord, I need you. And this morning, if you don't have that, I want to encourage you that there is a God who loves you, who died for you, who wants a relationship for you. And so if you're putting your hope in a preacher or in a church or in all these other things, they will never be enough. But David knew. I want to show you that in verse 26. But he says thus, I have no delight in you. 
Here I am. But let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you. Ahimaaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem. They remained there. So David went up by the ascent to the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up and had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their head and went up weeping as they went up. Now I don't want you to miss this. This morning we're talking about relationships and loyalty and betrayal. And then tonight, if you would like to come back, I would love to invite you. We're literally looking at Jesus being betrayed by Judas. You say, well, how did you pick those two very similar topics on the very same day? I didn't. I've been preaching through Matthew for years. I've been preaching through 1 Samuel for years and 2 Samuel. And yet, here they are on the same Sunday, the same premise, the same idea together. Why is that? Because God knows you need it. And God knows I need it. You say, Jake, I don't have any relationship problems today. You don't know what the future holds. You say, Jake, I don't have a problem with trust and loyalty and and people in my life. You don't know what the future holds. But today I want you to see that when that day comes, and it will come, that you do not have to despair. When that day comes and it all falls apart, you don't have to quit. Because God has a plan and a purpose for you. You see, David says, I want the ark to go back to Jerusalem. I want it to go back to where it belongs. You see, believers, so many times we don't do that. When we're wrong, when we're hurt, when we're upset, it's all about us. It's all about what I can get. And David shows us something in this passage of Scripture that no matter what else happens, if the Lord fights for you, if the Lord wants to raise you up, if the Lord wants to deliver you, then the Lord can. The Lord is able. Psalm 37 is written by King David describing God to other people. And I want you to listen to some of the words that King David says here and see if he is an expert on the topic. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. You skip down to verse 9 with me. It says, For evildoers shall be cut off. For those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for this place, but it shall be no more. David says, it might seem like everybody surrounded you. It might seem like everybody's abandoned you. It seems like everyone wants to destroy you, but you remember something. The wicked don't 
when it might seem like evil is running rampant in our society it might seem like evil is running rampant in our church it might seem like evil is running rampant in your place of employment but you remember something if God be for you no one can be against you if he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world you and I can trust him we can trust what God is doing but David could have said, I brought the ark, I'm taking it with me. I've seen that in church so many times. Well, I don't like that, I just won't come. Well, I'll just take my ball and I'll go home. Look up here this morning. You stand with Him and He'll take care of it. If you truly come to Him and say, God, I will put my life in Your hands, He will take care of it. This is very significant because where David is heading up to the Mount of Olives is the same place where Jesus went into the garden. And He said a prayer that sounded very similar to this. Father, if it be Your will, take this cup from me. David says, God, if You choose to raise me up, then so be it. God, if You choose to abandon me, so be it. But whatever You have for my life, I trust You. And friends, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good with that. I'm not very good with God. I'll just keep my mouth shut and let you fight it for me. I don't do that. I'm like, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you how I feel. Let me tell you how they really are. And God has to say, just shut up, Jake. You say, well, do you, do you have a lot of spiritual moments with God? No, usually He's convicting me just to shut up. Just stop talking, Jake. Just pray. Now, you're saying that about the sermon. That's not, I'm not talking about that, all right? Sit at the ball game. Keep your mouth shut. Sitting in that meeting. Keep your mouth shut. Someone cut you off in traffic. Keep your mouth shut. Just be patient. Trust what God is doing. And friends, that is so hard because when we don't know how it's going to unfold, we want to fix it. But this morning, the greatest piece of advice I can give you is to trust Him, to be humble, to stay where God wants you. And third and final thing, as I try to wrap this up quickly, is God can use you in difficult situations. Most of us don't want to be used in difficult situations. I'll come to church, but don't ask me to do anything. I'll be in a marriage until it goes bad. I love my kids until they get difficult and then do what you want. That's how we live our lives. I'll I'll be a good employee until someone upsets me. But when God uses you the most, it will be when He allows you to go through the difficulties. When God allows you to go through the challenges. In those moments, it is when God can use you the most. It's when God who can make you into who He wants you to be. Because look here in verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel, which is Bathsheba's grandfather, is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now what happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. 
So here's another person that says, David, I want to come serve you. I want to come follow you. I, I want to come be on your team. And we just talked about how loyal people encourage us, but listen to David's response. In verse 33, David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. I don't know about you, but that's what you want to hear, right? Here I am to serve. No, you're a burden. Here I am to follow. No, you're a burden. Here I am. Use me. Now you're a burden. I want you to think about that for a second. If I'm David, I'm taking anybody I can get. At this point, it's like, have you ever held a sword? Come on. Never held a sword? We'll teach you. Got one leg? That's all right. You can ride a horse sideways or whatever. I don't, you know, we'll take whatever we can get at this point. I mean, literally. <coughs> but David says, you'll be a burden. Now we read that and think, well, that's really cruel, but it's not meant that way in the text. Listen to what David says. <clears throat> but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be whatever you hear from the king's house, and you shall tell to Zadok and Abathar the priest. And so what he says is, I, I appreciate that, and, and though while you could be a blessing, you would be a better use to me if you would go back to where you came. Back into the house of my son who wants to kill me and my followers. I want you to go back and spy for me. I want you to go back into the enemy's nest for me. If I'm Hushai, I'm thinking, no, I'm good. I'll just keep on going. You do know he wants to kill us, right? And you might say, well, he probably didn't know that David and Hushai were good friends. Well, I'm glad that you thought that because look at verse 37. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Absalom would have known this man's loyalty. It literally said, tell him that you serve me and now I'll serve you. I think I'd have said, no, I'm good. I'll go where you're going, but I don't want to be in the action. I'll go with you while we go to the wilderness and while we regroup and while we plan and while we strategize. I'll go with you there. But David says, no, I really need you to go right back into it. What does that mean for us as Christians? Thanksgiving is coming. And like I said, I know all your families are perfect. You have no problems, no issues. You don't have that crazy uncle that always wants to talk about politics or something really awkward or, you know, all of those things. I know you don't have those, but some families do, all right? Look at the neighbor that you're sitting by and say, I know it's not you, okay? And if you don't have a weird person in your family, it's probably you. <laughs> but maybe, just maybe, God is sending you the only Christian in your family into that situation to tell them about Jesus. Maybe God's sending you into that difficult family time to show them that there is a God who loves them. And even though you sometimes want to strangle them, sometimes you want to disown them, sometimes you want to abandon them, do you know that God just might want to reach them through you? Think about work. You say, oh, I don't want to think about work. 
Just maybe, just maybe God has you there because there is someone in that place that He is wanting seeds to be planted. Do you ever wonder, maybe, just maybe, that you might lead someone to the Lord who might just be the next Billy Graham? Who might be the next Lottie Moon? Who God might use to change the world? But friends, it's difficult. And so when we see this passage of Scripture, we see that God is going to use this man in this situation. David knows that God is going to use him. But if I'm this man, I don't want to go. And friends, God might be calling you. God might be leading you. God might be asking you to do something you've never done, something you don't want to do, something you're not comfortable doing, something that you don't think you can do. And what God is saying is, if I put you on the potter's wheel, I can mold you into anything. But friends, it's a little bit of friction. It's a little bit of difficulty. It's kind of like the refiner's fire. Yeah, it's going to be hot for a season. Yeah, it might be difficult for a season. But when God gets you to who He wants you to be, it's a masterpiece. And friends, when you are in the difficult moments of life, whether it's someone else's fault, whether it's loss, whether it's difficulty, whether it's betrayal, whether it's challenges, you need to know something, that you are not alone. Do you notice that's what he told Hushai? He said, you're not alone. Zadok's going to be there. Jonathan's going to be there. They'll be there. They can take the message for you. They can bring it to me. I'd say, well, what's three against an army? What's three against a whole kingdom? What's three against a group of people that hate you? Friends, I'm sure that they thought the same thing when they were making fun of Noah for building a giant boat. And then it began to rain. The Philistines were laughing when a young boy went out on the battlefield to meet Goliath. The prophets of Baal were laughing and mocking when Elijah stood there with his wet stuff and just himself. Jezebel threatened to kill him until she fell out of a window. And the stories are on and on and on in the Old Testament when wicked, broken people who were saved by the grace of God did nothing but said, God, here I am. Use me. And what God did. You think about what Satan would have thought as he watched Jesus take his last breath on the cross. But what we know now is that the resurrection was coming. You see, this last week, as you know, I was in Mexico on a mission trip. My first one, first time I'd ever left the country. People asked me if I learned any Spanish. I didn't. In high school, I told my Spanish teacher, I'm never leaving this country. I don't need this language. Up until six weeks ago, I didn't have a passport because if you don't have a passport, guess what? You can't leave this country. But apparently you can sneak into this country, but that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But I'm not going to lie, the whole time I was down there, you can ask Randy, I was like, what if I don't get back in? My middle name's got an apostrophe, and I don't think I wrote it right. And they said, if your passport's not perfect, you can't get back in. And someone said, really? The only fat white guy that can't get across the border would be you. But this story has a purpose. Don't, don't leave me. So we get there, and we're getting ready to pour this foundation for this little bitty 12 by 20 kitchen to feed the neighborhood kids who don't have food. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, I've poured concrete with my uncle. You know, I'll drag a little. I'll hold the board while they level. I'm good. I can do that. I'm fat, but I can still bend over. It's not a problem. 
watched concrete trucks drive by us, uh, uh, streets next to us, and even drove right down in front of us. And I kept thinking, well, that's the concrete truck. That's our concrete truck. But then they began to pull out these trays that were about this long and about this tall. I was like, well, that's weird. And then they begin to have a big pile of sand and gravel, and I was like, well, that's weird. Then they began to give us rakes and other tools to stir and mix stuff, and I went, well, that's weird. Then they went into the church building, which was four walls with no roof, no windows, and began to carry out concrete mix, and I went, that's weird. And then they began to form it up, and we began to stand there, and I thought, Hmm. wonder where the concrete's coming from. Then they begin to pour the sand and the concrete mix into this pail. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> then some lady come by with these fiberglass feathers, and I said, that's really weird. And I stood there and I thought, what in the world are they going to do here? There's concrete trucks all over the place. It's Mexico, and they got concrete trucks. Then some lady started carrying a bucket of water. And I went, that's weird. And then she poured that bucket of water into that concrete mix and that sand and gravel and that fiberglass feathers. And they said, mix. And I went, well, that's not good. (laughs) And so as I began to shovel on this side and rake it and this other guy who was across from me and he's as bigger, bigger than I was and I'm thinking, I don't know which of us is going first but one of us is not going to make it through this. And we're raking and he's raking his side and they say, switch. And I'm going, all right, who's coming in for me? They're like, no, you move to this side. He moves to that side. And I went, oh, that's weird. And so as there's three or four of us and 67 tubs later, I went, oh, that was difficult. I was thinking, I am overweight. I've got more chins than I've, you know, I've just I got a lot of problems. And I thought, that is difficult. But as they begin to drag that and pour that into those forms, and they begin to level that out, which I did not get to do. I was definitely the manual labor part of this process. But as it was finished, I was like, wow. That looks just like a foundation they'd pour in McLeansboro. And I would have paid for someone else to do it. And as I watched the next day when it was dry and we began to put the walls up, and the next day when we put the roof up and the stucco up, and when that pastor who has literally built this four-wall church by himself with as much money as he can raise at a time walks out and looks at the first building he's ever had with a roof on it, I thought, if the foundation hadn't worked, the building wouldn't work. The difficulty of the foundation is what matters. And friends, this morning, the foundation is Jesus. He is the one that died on the cross for your sins. He is the one who took your shame and your fears and your regrets. He is the one who became sin for us. He is the cornerstone. He is the one who died and rose again. And friends, if you're here this morning and your life is built on anything else, You're missing the foundation. And friends, this morning I want to say this because it is so important. I don't care if you said a prayer when you were seven years old. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized 18 times. It doesn't matter if you give more money than anyone else to this church. If you have never been born again, you're missing the foundation. 
you're missing what God has built. We used to sing a kid's song in church, but apparently the first service didn't know it. The wise man built his house upon the... Yes, right? And that song goes on to say the rains came down and the floods... Yeah, you've got it. First service is not near as smart as you are. You can tell them I said that. Half of them are still here. No, I'm just kidding. And it what? It stood. But the other part of that song is, the foolish man built his house upon the... Oh, you're so good. I'm telling you, you ought to all be in the choir. And what? The rains came down and the floods came up and the house came tumbling down. When difficulties come, even when your foundation is built on Jesus, friends, it'll rock your world. When you get that call that someone you love has died, when you get that call that your marriage is over, when you get that call that your children have become an atheist, when you get those calls that rock your world to the core, friends, the building might shake, the boat might teeter, but I am telling you that when Jesus is your foundation, it will not crumble. And friends, in those moments, when David had nothing, it was Jesus. When you and I have nothing, it's Jesus. And friends, I'm thankful for loyal friends. I'm thankful for God's blessings. But when it's all gone, when everything falls away, it'll only be Jesus. And I pray this morning with your family, with your situation, that you know Him today. Because the Bible says if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You can leave here knowing that the foundation in your life is set if you'll just trust Him. You say, well, Jake, I know I'm saved, but uh, I'm not going to love my family this way. I'm not going to forgive people. You know what pride might be due to you? It might mean that you need to walk into your family Thanksgiving, sit down across from that person that you cannot say and say, hey, I forgive you. It might mean you work into you walk into your coworker and walk up to your boss and say, I know you're a bad boss under your breath, but I am sorry. And those moments, friends, if you'll let God put you in the difficult moments, He'll use you for His glory. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know other than you're faithful. And so, God, I don't know what your people are struggling with today. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know their condition. But, God, you do. And so, Lord, I just pray that these words that you have given us are an encouragement to them. Father, for that person that's here, that's playing games with you, that's running from you, that today, God, would be the day that you would show them who you are, that you'd speak to them, that you'd convict them, that you'd draw them to yourself, and, God, that you would save them. Father, for that person that's a believer, but yet, Lord, is just, just really struggling today, God, that you would just be with them. Show them that they'll have to humble themselves, but if they will, God, you will be with them. Father, I pray for this church that we would be humble, that we would love you, that we would love each other. Father, today I pray for that person that's here that's lost. Even if they've told themselves they're saved, even if they're on the membership of a church, but today, Lord, they know they need you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to convict them, draw them, and do only what you can do to save them from their sins. And Lord,
Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.